This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, thanks for having me this morning. If you need a Bible, talk to Isaiah, because Isaiah's got Bibles in the back there. I promise it's turned on. I got to say, I'm proud of you as a church that this is your pastor. And you came back this week. (laughs) Uh, So my wife, Christy, and I, we have four kids. We've been married for 20 years. She couldn't come with me on this trip. Our oldest, our son Ian, just got married. So I've got a boy and three girls, and that means now I have a boy, three girls, and a daughter-in-law. I feel old. (laughs) And we've known Pastor Will, Tim and Grace, before they were Tim and Grace, really. And you probably know what I mean when I say this. I love Tim and Grace, and it's nice to come here and visit Grace and the children. (laughs) Oh, and Pastor Tim's here too, so that's good. Well, seriously, though, thank you for having me. It's a treat to be here. I know that's the right thing to say, but it really is quite an honor, and I I take it as such. If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 3? We're going to look at a a few verses from Hebrews chapter 3, and then we're going to turn to a couple of different passages in the Old Testament, and there's the potential that we might look at another short passage, short blurb from the New Testament. Would you join me once again in a a word of prayer? Lord, thank you so much. As Pastor Tim already said, thank you for your word that we can gather here, take this time out of, I'm sure for everyone in this room, it's a busy week, the busyness of life, so much happening. And yet here we are on a Sunday morning designated for you, given to you, set aside, set apart, sanctified really for you, that you'd want to meet with your people corporately. And so here we are with your word open open before us. Would you open your word to us? As we get into it, would your word get into us? So please speak to us this morning. Again, we thank you for the Bible in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the opening chapters of the book of Hebrews, it's really interesting because the author had been providing warnings to these people, warnings concerning disobedience, warnings concerning hardening of the heart, warnings concerning departing from God, and warnings concerning coming short of God's promised rest. And this is fascinating. He's given them warnings, and this is what our focus will be this morning, on unbelief. What's fascinating to me about that is that the author of Hebrews is writing this letter to Hebrew or Jewish Christians. In other words, well, we're already believers, and I should trust, I should hope that you're already a believer in Jesus Christ this morning. If you've not yet given your life to him, man, what are you waiting for? Talk to someone afterwards and give your life to Jesus. But it's fascinating because they're already believers. So if I'm a believer Why would the Holy Spirit who inspired the author of Hebrews feel the need to say, look out for unbelief? I already believe. Look out for unbelief. 
This is not a discussion of losing your salvation, oh, by the way. This is a discussion of what are you doing with your salvation? I'm already saved. Good. Are you living your salvation? I'm already a believer. Good. Are you believing? Someone said it this way. It's one thing to believe in God, but do you believe God? Interesting. What I'm going to do is just read a few verses here, as I said, from Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of different passages, but let me just say this, and as we talk about this issue of unbelief, what should be painfully obvious to us is this. If the warnings that are given here are given to us as believers in Jesus Christ, what should be obvious is that we are therefore capable of doing these things with which we're, of, of which we're warned, right? Put it this way, you know, I live right now in northwest Arkansas. I grew up in Southern California, and before <laughs> we moved to Arkansas, this might be a display of the, you know, school system where I was born and raised, but I had no idea where Arkansas was. Like, Jeremy, I'm calling you to Arkansas. Where's that? You know, I had to find it on the map kind of thing. But I'll tell you, it's, it's nowhere near the Grand Canyon. If you came up to me afterward and said, hey, look out so you don't fall in the Grand Canyon, there's your warning. Like, what are you talking about? I don't live anywhere. That's not much of a warning because I'm not in any kind of, or right now, look out for the, is something going to happen that I don't know? But a warning is really only valid if it's capable of happening. And so the warnings here are capable of being true for us. And so therefore, he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, which, oh, by the way, if you've been attending our inductive Bible study seminar this weekend, you should look at the word therefore and ask what it's there for. Therefore, because of what? Well, why don't you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, which says, therefore. Oh, so something else in front of that. How about the beginning of chapter 2? Therefore. Oh, so like you mean the whole book is connected? The whole book is connected. And all the things the author has been discussing have been pointing to this, this group of Christians who have been going through the ringer. This beleaguered company of saints who have been so abused, literally. The author is encouraging them to remember that Jesus is greater than anything and everything. And so therefore, chapter 3 and verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he says, he gives commentary on that passage of scripture, which he quotes, beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, notice he repeats it again, verse 15, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, then he asks some questions here. For who, having heard, rebelled? Like who is being discussed here in this Old Testament passage he's referencing? Who rebelled? And he answers the question. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Which is kind of funny, right? Well, we have Moses. Uh-huh. And you still rebelled. Oh. 
Verse 17, now with whom was he angry 40 years? And here's your happy thought for your Sunday morning. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Oh, well, we've got Moses and you rebelled. We were delivered from Egypt and you died in the wilderness. Oh, verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they should not or would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Already delivered, already rescued, led by the great Moses, and yet they missed out on so much. And this is where it's so dangerous for you, for you, for me, for us, we're believers. And especially, this is kind of a funny thing, I'll throw our our non-denominational denomination under the bus here a little bit. We're really good at saying, well, but we have the Bible. Great, and we do, but what are you doing with it? It's kind of, well, we get it right. You've you know, heard about the guy that died and went to heaven. And of course, I don't know why all the jokes about heaven involve like St. Peter meeting you at the pearly gates, right? But, so Peter's showing this guy around and, and, oh, this is so nice. Well, who's over there? Oh, those are the Baptists over there. Oh, that's nice. That's so nice. They keep walking. Yeah, how about over there? Those are the Lutherans. Oh, I love that. They keep walking. Ooh, who are those guys? Shh, shh, shh. Who are those guys? Those are the Calvary Chapel people. Why are we whispering? Because they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> like we think we've got it. Well, we have the Bible. And yet these had all of that and still rebelled. They had all of that and still lived in unbelief. So if you notice there, as I mentioned, the author is quoting from the Old Testament. And I warned you that we would turn and look at a couple of different passages. So if you would turn to Psalm 95. Because Psalm 95 is what the author of Hebrews is here referencing. Fascinating Psalm. Oh, by the way, if you're a note taker, Psalm 95, while it doesn't tell us in the text in the Old Testament that it's a Psalm of David, Hebrews chapter 4 does. So this is a Psalm of David. And David says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Like what we did this morning. Let's do that. Verse 2, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Why? For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His. Why? For He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. Think about all the reasons for which we should praise and worship God, including, I love this in verse 5, His creation. If you just would think about His creation for a minute, not just it, creation itself, but the activity of creation. Do you know He spoke it into existence? Let there be light. Boom! There's light. Like, you're not that impressed. I can just flip the light switch and we have light. If you're not that impressed, like, you go, just go outside and try it light, and let me know if anything happens. But God spoke it into existence. We should praise Him. So much so that David goes on in verse 6 of Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Verse 7, why? For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Pause there for a second. Think about that. That's who God is. That's how great God is. And He would say, and you are my people. You ever meet someone who's a name dropper? Like they just want to make sure that you are clear they know famous people. 
It's one thing to know someone famous, but it's another thing for someone famous to know you. It's like, I know that guy, right? But this is God himself that would say, no, they're mine. That I'm identifying with them. They're my people. Like when you read this, you think this is so amazing. This is so beautiful. All that we have and all these wonderful minders, reminders as to why we should worship him. And then at the, at the middle point of verse 7, he says, Today, does that sound familiar? Today, if you will hear his voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. It doesn't seem odd. Like, God is so great, let's worship him. And look out today, don't harden your heart. Wait, where's, where'd that contrast come from? Why are we discussing that? Because it's so easy to be in that great place with the Lord and then somehow lose sight of him. And so today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial and the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. There's the irony there. They saw God work and still lived in unbelief. For 40 years, verse 10 says, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again, this is what the author of Hebrews is quoting in chapter 3. And what you should notice, if you keep this in mind, in Hebrews chapter 3, there seems to be the emphasis on two specific words or concepts from Psalm 95. And those are found in verse 8, where it says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial, or some of your translations might say testing. Rebellion and trial. Now, if your Bible has a cross-reference kind of system to it all, you might notice that these words in the Hebrew language are meribah, for rebellion, and Massah for trial or for testing. Well, why is that significant? Thank you for asking. I appreciate your interest in this. It's significant because these words took on a bit of a life of their own as Meribah and Massah actually were the names of the places where this happened. The issue that David is discussing here, Meribah and Massah became known for that event. And it's significant, for example, in Numbers chapter 20, and verse 24, it says, you rebelled against my word. Well, but we have the Bible. I would never, mm-hmm, <laughs> that's nice of you to think that way. I would never, you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. And in Deuteronomy 6, 16, it says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. Those places were the events of Psalm 95, that the, follow me here because it's a big timeline. Psalm 95, David writing this in his generation today. Remember what Moses did. And the author of Hebrews saying, hey, remember what David said? Today, remember what David said today about Moses in his day. That's, that's actually pretty relevant. So if you think about this, you're thinking, okay, but still, why is this significant? It's significant because, again, these places became synonymous with striving against God testing God, or all of Hebrews chapter 3 would boil this down to one word, unbelief. And the question that must be asked is simply this. Well, David's talking about some event in Psalm 95 that has these places associated with it. Well, when is that or where in the Bible is that? Again, thank you for asking. That's Exodus chapter 17, and you can go ahead and turn there. I warned you, like, buckle up for safety. We're going to turn to a few different places this morning. Exodus chapter 17. 
familiar passage and probably familiar for so many of the wrong reasons because of how this group of people who exited Egypt, how they acted. Chapter 17 of the book of Exodus, let me just read a few of the verses here. Starting in verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on, the, on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in Rephidim. But there's no water for the people to drink. Imagine that. Hey, we're out in the desert. There's no water. This is great. Therefore, the people contended with Moses. Don't you wish sometimes the Bible would be written differently? Don't you wish it would be like, therefore, the people said, Hey, Moses, what do you think we should do? Or, hey, Moses, maybe we should pray about this. No, therefore, they contended. They complained with Moses. And again, aren't you glad here this is 2019 and not knowing Paradise Calvary Chapel, I'm sure that none of you would ever complain against God. I'm sure none of you would have complaints in your hearts or your minds or from your mouths about any kind of leadership in the church. So aces to you, keep it up. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord and the people, verse 3, thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Isn't it funny, but not really, how unbelief works? Like unbelief takes it to the umpteenth degree of terribleness. It's not just, oh man, there's no water, this might be bad. It's, Moses, we're all going to die. And our kids too, like Moses, you're some kind of monster. Our kids, it's bad enough, it's us, but our kids, and you notice the end of it, and our livestock. Like our poor animals are out here to die. Just, wow, dramatic here much, I suppose. So, verse four, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? And I wonder how he said that. What shall I do with this people? I wonder if he's like, hmm, slightly angry, slightly terrified, because he says at the end of verse 4, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 5, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So, verse 7, he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, listen to this, this is key at the end of verse 7, is the Lord among us or not? I might ask you that same question. Are you going through a great difficulty? Is the Lord with you or is he not? Well, I'm not sure because it's really tough. Okay, but is he with you or is he not with you? The fascinating part about all of this, and of course the, the hearers, the audience of the book of Hebrews who would have received that letter, they were Jewish. They knew all about this. And for them, thinking about Exodus chapter 17, as they quote from Psalm 95 and David, who references Exodus chapter 17, they knew the background. And what was the background? The background leading up to chapter 17 was maybe not nothing but blessing, but was almost entirely blessing. This comes 
after the Exodus. They had been slaves in Egypt and they're now delivered. This is after the institution of the Passover. This is after the Lord had been leading them with this pillar of cloud by day or pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. A divine leading like no one in history has ever seen since then or, or from this time afterwards. We've never seen anything like that and they experienced that. They experienced the crossing of the Red Sea, one of the more miraculous miracles in all of history. They walked through that. They watched the bitter waters of Mara in chapter 15 become sweet. Oh, by the way, just put a, a pause here for a second on this one. The bitter waters, we talked about this last night or the night before in our How to Study Your Bible kind of seminar. The bitter waters, any bitterness in your life? You notice what happens in Exodus chapter 15. You can look it up on your own. There was a tree. They cast the tree into the bitter waters and the bitterness became sweet. I wonder if there's a correlation New Testament wise. Add the tree to your bitterness. Add the cross to your bitterness and watch as things just sweeten instantly. So they experienced that. They experienced also his provision and power by way of the manna, right? Bread from heaven. And of course, you know, that they made like banana bread and banana. Thank you for the courtesy laugh there. I appreciate that. So all these great things, all these blessings from God. <laughs> it's terrible. We should just close in prayer with that, I think. But, and then chapter 17, God's been so good to us. And then there's no water. Oh, that means we're all going to die. Yeah, but God's been faithful in the past. No, because now we're all going to die. Meribah, Massah, rebellion, testing. They had seen God's work firsthand, and yet they still rebelled. And so when David wrote Psalm 95, he's saying, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did though they had all the reason in the world to praise God, like we have all the reason in the world to praise God today, and yet they missed it. Why? Unbelief. David warning his hearers, his audience in his day about the dangers of unbelief, the dangers of having a heart which resists God. Then fast forward from David's day in Psalm 95 to the time of the, the writing of the book of Hebrews. Today, and remember, this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Their today, different than David's today, but their today was relevant for them in that today. Fast forward another couple thousand years, and here we are, March 2019. Hey, church, today. No, no, that was for them. Those people in the Bible, man, they just blew it all the time. And aren't you glad today in 2019, we never blow it. We always get it. We're always walking by faith. Slow golf clap. For you people for doing so great all the, this is all of us today again even in david's today they had known the great blessings of god god's good hand of keeping on them was was evident they had the right king on the throne king david the days of king saul those were in the past and yet they needed that warning today be careful watch your heart Again, the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, they needed that same reminder, though they were, in fact, born again. They were Christians, and they needed to hear this reminder. And the way it works is actually pretty startling in that unbelief in one great way is very much 
like belief. Unbelief is like belief in that it's convinced that something is true. It knows something with a strong conviction. It's assured of something. And typically it's this. I know that God will not do what he said he'll do. I know it. Maybe he can do it, but he probably won't do it. Or at least he probably won't do it for me. I know he's come to the rescue for others. And yeah, in times past in my life, but this trial, this difficulty for me in this moment, right now, this today, I'm just not so sure. In fact, I'm convinced he won't work. That's what unbelief sounds like. And it usually doesn't come out of our mouths but it sits there, and the author of Hebrews quotes David saying this, the issue is in the heart. And here's where it's kind of funny. Unbelief, if we're honest, actually makes perfect sense. What? How is that? Are you, are you saying, saying we should have unbelief? No, not so much, but it makes sense. It makes sense in that I cannot see what's going to happen, right? Now, you are just like me in that none of us are the knowers of all things knowable. None of you can see the future. What we can see is our present circumstances. And oftentimes, let's be honest, sometimes they just stink. And this is all I see. Well, I know God's word said that he's going to come to the rescue, but... Mm. It's interesting where we place those contrasting words. But. And it often makes all the difference. And if I were to say it this way, Hawaii is beautiful but it rains all the time. Like, what's your concept of Hawaii? But if I say it this way, it rains all the time in Hawaii, but it's beautiful. Same statements, but that contrast makes a world of difference. Well, I know God's word says he'll come to the rescue, but my circumstances, rather than my circumstances stink, but God, God will do it. But unbelief decides based on what it can see. And God is calling us as believers, ironically, to simply believe. He's calling us, you know, the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to walk by faith and not by sight. But we're so good at walking by sight because we're typically governed by what we see and know. Faith declares that though I cannot see, yet I believe might have heard about this man called Charles Blondin, who's a Frenchman who lived in the late 1800s. And he was the guy that tightrope walked across, not Niagara Falls, like someone did that in the last 10 or 20 years and somehow actually survived that. But this guy walked uh, the, the Niagara Gorge, so a little bit further back stream, which I appreciate his wisdom there with that. But he would walk back and forth across this tightrope, doing different tricks, different ways that he would walk across this. And because, well, Wikipedia seems to be the knower of all things knowable nowadays, he would say, it says that he walked across blindfolded. Apparently, he walked across the Niagara Gorge on a tightrope on stilts. Like, is that even humanly possible? If there's an engineer in the room, please come talk to me afterwards. Like, how can you even do that? Apparently, he cooked breakfast on the middle of the tightrope. Apparently he got a wheelbarrow and like moved the wheelbarrow back and forth across the Niagara Gorge on this tightrope. And of course, if you know anything about the story, when he got to the 
the edge of the Niagara River, he cried out to the massive crowd, do you believe that I could put someone on my back and carry them across the tightrope with me? And of course, everyone just, yes, of course you can. Now, yes, if we believe it. To which, of course, he said, and who would like to volunteer? Which, of course, elicited silence. <laughs> they believed, but they did not personally trust. He seemed trustworthy, and we've seen what he can do, but. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 would tell us. They heard the message, but it did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. And apparently for Charles Blondin, someone actually did get on his back. And what I'm told is that it was his manager, which makes sense. Like, man, if we're going to keep trying to sell tickets, I actually need to get someone to get on my back and actually do this. So the guy gets on the man's back and back and forth they went. And like, imagine being that guy. And Charles Blondin would say, just please don't move. Like your part in this, it's not a part. I just need you to, and think about how this might apply biblically, I just need you to hang on to me. I'm going to do all the work. Do you trust me, yes or no? Yes! Then hold still and hold on. And off they went. And that guy had an experience unlike anyone else. Though they all heard the same message, they all saw the same event, they all knew he was capable of doing it, yet they missed out personally on that why? I don't really believe it will work for me. Of course, in Moses' day, and this is what the author of Hebrews references there in chapter 3, it was Moses' generation, though they had escaped Egypt, his generation all died in the wilderness. Why? Unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 is so candid with its commentary, their corpses fell in the wilderness. It's the story, of course, of Numbers chapter 13, some time after the events of Exodus chapter 17, when Moses spent, sent spies into the land. You guys are studying Joshua, so you're familiar with this, that Joshua is one of those spies. Joshua and Caleb are one of the 12. 12 went into the land, and yeah, actually 12 came out. But 10 said, it can't be done. Why? They're giants. And giants are, in fact, bigger than us. Were they right? Yeah. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do it because God. Fast forward in that time to David with Goliath, the Israeli army. They heard the same thing that David would hear from the giant Goliath. Send out your best warrior. I'll fight him. We don't all need to fight. We can do this. And the people of Israel saw the giant. They heard the message and were dreadfully afraid. David comes along and like, this is some kind of joke, right? Goliath looks at David as he comes out there. He's just a little guy. In fact, if you read the story, it's kind of funny because he was probably about a teenager and his dad sent him with grains and cheese to his brothers. Grains and cheese? Like that's a recipe for pizza. Like this is David, the pizza delivery boy, going to the, here you go, guys. Wait, who's this? Oh, it's a giant. He wants to kill us. Well, but God... What about God? And Goliath looks at David. You come at me with sticks and stones, but David's got, I, or Goliath, I've got this javelin. I've got the spear. And you, you're no match for me, David. But David, you come at me with that. I've got the Lord of hosts. Goliath, you're correct. Me against you, there's no chance. But you against God, I kind of feel bad for you. Just 
sorry, dude, a couple of rocks. Like, how can a kid with a sling embed a rock into a giant that's called the Lord? That kind of velocity doesn't happen, you know, humanly speaking. They all saw the same thing, heard the same thing, but only David said, but God can deal with this. Fast forward to the New Testament and the day, the today of even Jesus's day. You think, well, it's the 12 apostles. We have Jesus. Like it's not Moses because Jesus is greater than Moses. It's not Joshua greater than Joshua. It's not even David greater than him and all the rest and the apostles. And what did Jesus so often say to them? Oh, ye of little faith. It's John chapter six. Hey, 5,000, I want to feed everybody. Hey, Philip, can we make this happen? And his assessment in, in short terms, Lord, it's actually impossible. So Matthew, this little lad's got a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread. But what is that amongst so many? He's so close. And of course, it had to be Matthew. And he's like doing the math here, right? Like, okay, the 5,000 loaves, fish. Yeah, that's not quite enough. So therefore, it's impossible. And it wasn't Judas. Judas would have stolen the, the kid's lunch, you know, kind of thing. But it's impossible. And Jesus... Give them over here to me. And me reading the story, I imagine Jesus smiled at that point. Why don't you just pass it over here? And it says in John's gospel, he did this testing them. And it says why? For he himself knew what he was going to do. If you're a note taker, here's my great theological statement for the day. Please write this down. God knows stuff. They didn't know how it would work. Their assessment, humanly speaking, was accurate. It's impossible. Jesus said, why don't you just pass it over to me and let me work? Here's the ironic event of John chapter 6. They had the answer right in front of them. And yet, face to face with Jesus, and yet, no, Lord, it's impossible. Like, I'm actually the answer here. Well, it's impossible because look at all these obstacles. Unbelief. And again, unbelief is convinced that certain things cannot happen. Unbelief takes the truth of what God has spoken, calls it into question, and then makes sure to emphasize the obstacles rather than watch God work. And I wonder for you today, are you facing some great obstacle? I would imagine that many of you are. Let's put it this way. Here's your happy thought for Sunday morning. If you're not, get ready because something is probably around the corner. You're faced with some great dilemma or you're, you're faced with the same opportunity as all these that have gone before us in our today, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. In David's day, don't harden your hearts like they did. In our today, the funny thing for me, and I'm a guest speaker, so I don't know you. I don't know what it is that you're enduring right now in your lives. So my suggestion to you would be, well, believe God, but I can't make you do that. So it's this, believe God or don't. I would suggest you choose wisely <laughs> because he can be trusted. And so all of that to say the emphasis in the book of Hebrews, the author seems to offer the key to how to maintain faith and reject unbelief. He's constantly through the book saying, consider Jesus. If God gave his only son for us while we were yet sinners, and if you're now born again, you are part of his family, do you really think he would say, I'm going to abandon you now? Jesus died for you when you were a sinner. Now that you're his own, is he going to say, nah, I'll let you, let you go? 
Why would we not trust him? We need to think about him, set our minds on him, remember what he's declared and what he's done. Romans 15, 13 says this, and I'll close here. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Live in belief or don't, and live in unbelief as a believer. If you do that, you're going to miss out on so many things. And it's possible that the obstacles in your life are God saying, I'm giving you a chance to watch me work in a way that you never could choose wisely. Lord, once again, thank you for your word and thank you for what we really don't like. We don't like warnings. We don't like challenges. We don't like obstacles. We don't like difficulties. We want everything to be flowers and lollipops all the time. We want it to be smooth sailing, but that's not how you work. You want to do something in our lives, and so often you're setting the table, allowing difficulties and obstacles so that we might have opportunity to trust you further. It's been said that all sunshine, and this is apropos here, all sunshine makes nothing but desert. Lord, we need those storms in our lives to cause different amounts, different varieties of growth, and those things don't happen when everything is, is perfect all the time. You allow these difficulties as opportunities for us to say, today am I going to harden my heart, or today will I live and continue walking in belief? And so for us as believers, would we continue in belief? Would we live lives of belief? Again, thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name,